The following is a paid presentation. The views expressed do not necessarily represent those of the staff and management of Shiawassee Radio. This is your cell. This is your bunk. This is The Jail Visit on Shiawassee Radio, live from the Cofield Oil and Propane Studios. Here's attorney Bill Amadeo. All right, I am Bill Amadeo from McManus and Amadeo and Grable and Associates and the Shiawassee Six. And today we are God, we are so behind on content. And those in my inner circle know why. We won't discuss that today. That's a conversation for another time. But been an exhausting uh, week to say the least. Great things, but it has been an exhausting week. We have to get some content done. I came to the office for a few hours today. And this was about 1992. And I think the reason that I was so basically motivated in my theme of exhaustion to do 1992, which was the end of 92 was my sophomore year of high school, the beginning of 92 was the start of my junior year of high school, was some of the juvenile work I've been doing. And you know, and it's weird with juveniles. I always say with juvenile defendants, I want to charge less to the juvenile defendant because I don't want them paying me big money 10 years from now. I want to try and keep a kid out of the system. And it started making me think about how certain people get into the system. As I'm visiting this kid this week, it's a sad case and I found a way out for him, but it was a nightmare. And we're sitting at the juvenile facility, which I'm proud to say he'll be out of soon. And he's telling me his life story. There's one thing criminal defense lawyers don't do enough of, and maybe I do too much of, is I want to learn about my clients. I want to know what brought us together. You know, was there a bad childhood? Was there abuse? What happened? Was there generational gaps of incarceration? You need to know the whole history to advocate properly. This is not a one phone call and show up to a Zoom hearing or a live PCC and call it a day. We have to do better than that. And this one kid, sad situation, and I'm hoping to play a role in turning things around for him, but he tells me how he just wasn't in the in crowd. He wasn't accepted. He wasn't part of those inner cliques. Those high school cliques are deadly, man. And I thought to myself, holy shit, this could have been me. It made me think about some of the people I knew growing up. You can understand now, 1992 in Ducktown, Pitney Village, it was a war zone. I mean, it wasn't as bad as back Maryland or Virginia Avenue courts. VAC was bad, but, um, Pitney was no joke. Now, we're basically the last white family there. Those of you that watch this have heard about this, but 1992 was interesting. It was a year that changed me because um, for my junior year, I tried out for the mock trial team, and that just changed everything. Law became more important than baseball. Law became the way out of the hood. Law was everything. And I'm grateful to Dan Soul and Keith Graziel for seeing something in me at such a young age. Because I didn't fit the mold of mock trial. 
mock trial were the rich, wealthy kids from the suburbs. It was the Margate kids. It was the Jewish wealthy kids, not the poor Italian kid that was an outlier in the hood. And they didn't accept me. I mean, they didn't really like me, the mock trial players, um, at all. We came to a conclusion at some point that I could help them win state titles, which would help their resumes to get into elite schools. And I would use them to avoid going home on the jitney at a certain hour. So I guess we had a beneficial relationship, if you would. And also in 1992, that was when the LA riots hit. I remember getting my ass kicked that day. I've talked about that. 92 was a fascinating year. And as you are a sophomore in high school, in Atlantic City High, from Atlantic City, being a white kid, and let me be very clear, because when I hear people say, they talk about Atlantic City High, like it was such a great time. It molded who we are today. Mm, okay. If you were from Ventnor or Margate, it may have been a good time for you. Being a white kid from Atlantic City was not a good time. And you were caught in two worlds. You were so caught in two worlds. And what was going on in society dictated so many things. You know, I'm going to talk about some people. I'm going to talk about some films. And I'll start with Miss Gandia. Miss Gandia was my journalism teacher, my English teacher. Miss Gandia giving me a key to the Viking lounge and the Viking press, which was the school newspaper, and allowing me to have so much freedom there was an escape. It was an escape from the horrors. We'll talk about some of those horrors today. But it was an escape from the violence that was Ducktown in 1992. It was a purpose. And what Gandhi taught me was, if you focus on mock trial and you focus on journalism, things are going to be okay. If you focus on the shit going on around you, you're screwed. So Miss Gandhi was like my third mother. You know, there was Aunt Mare, there was Mom, and then there was Gandhi. And Gandhi played such a vital role in protecting me from the bullshit that was. And there was a lot of bullshit. You know, in Atlantic City at the time, you had the Salams, you had the beginning Rembrandts of Bloods, Crips, MS-13. It was a violent time period. Gang violence was huge. You know, it was a way to survive. And, you know, when the Rodney King thing hit, there were these other gangs these white supremacist people that came into Atlantic City, came into Brigantine. Brigantine was a big hold for them. The poorer white kids that were looking for an identity, looking for somewhere to connect with, they scooped these kids up. And I knew that wasn't for me. I had no interest in that. You turn to Father Sullivan, who, for all intents and purposes, was a complete ass. And you turned to Sullivan for help, and he kind of mocked you for being poor. He mocked you for being an Italian in the hood. It was just, you know. And what really did it for me was baseball. I learned that year 
the battle between baseball and mock trial. Baseball was my love. It was the thing I always wanted to do. And what a bunch of ass on the baseball team. They weren't really talented. I think you could say I wasn't talented either. Whenever I played hard, there were injuries. Won't get into that right now. But there were people like Don Siglin, who was a complete douchebag. He used to make these jokes, hey, Poison, you know, and you would look at him and like Anthony Bucaferni, who was a Ventner kid who thought he was tough. And these kids, the funny thing about the kids in Ventner and Morgan thought they were tough is they didn't have the balls to walk the streets of Atlantic City. But you're caught between two worlds. You're totally caught between two worlds because you don't want to get kicked off the baseball team. If you fight with these assholes, you will. So you took a level of shit that you couldn't possibly take or want to take when you went back home. You were caught between these two irons. Remember one time I wanted to warm up and I wanted to do a three-way catch with Bucaferni and Siglin. And Bucaferni said, no, we're already warming up. So I just sat on the side with nobody to throw the ball with. And, you know, your grandfather's dying, you're poor, you're broke, you can't even have a catch with these people. And it was just fascinating how these isolations were made, these clicks were made. And you're a depressed kid. You're poor, you're not getting laid, you got the weight of the world on your shoulders, you're told that you gotta get your family out of the hood. You're told that you gotta work your ass off. And you accept these things. You turn to your priest. There's nothing. You turn to these cliques. They don't want you. The Vetner and Margate kids thought like they were better. And the Atlantic City kids, you weren't really one of them because you actually were the minority in Atlantic City. So 92 sucked in that regard. Um, and Siglin was just a miserable kid. Yuka Fernie was just this cocky ass. I never knew why these kids were cocky. But I learned hardcore how to fight that year. Um, and when I learned to fight, it wasn't with the Ventnor and Margate kids. It was survival going home to the hood. Remember one day, there was this asshole, Michael Chate. Chate I knew from grammar school. He lived in Chelsea Heights. And I was riding my bike over the Albany Avenue Bridge. And it was so real. I'm getting ready to go over the bridge, make a left, go back into Ducktown. And get ready to fuck this kid to survive. And um, it was bad because you learned how to escape. You learned how to fight enough to keep your pride going. Fighting had to be the ultimate defense mechanism. You knew you weren't tough enough to win these fights. But if you fought hard enough and didn't get killed, you'd be left alone. And there was always this theme. If they're bigger, stronger, and faster than you, you just charge ahead. And I see Mike Chate, who I knew from grammar school. And I'm going one way and he's going the other way. Because he lived in Chelsea Heights. I lived in the hood, but I'm going back to the hood. And we're on top of the Albany Avenue Bridge. He's all, oh, won't you say something in my face right now? Now, understand something. In eighth grade, the Mike Chates of the world seemed tough. By now in high school, dealing with gangbangers and almost getting killed and almost getting raped and such, you kind of looked at that like, okay, who the f*** is Mike Chait? Mike, I want you to know one thing, and I'm so grateful I just laughed and drove back to do my real fight. I was so close 
to ripping you off your bicycle and throwing you off fucking Albany Avenue Bridge. And I know if I would have done that, I would have killed a great legal career and a lot of innocent people would be in prison today. But you don't know the shit going on inside a kid's mind. When I think of Mike Chait, when I think of Don Siglin, when I think of Anthony Bucaferni or a moron like Aaron Bronstein. Aaron Bronstein looked like somebody took a frying pan and smashed his face in, but he came from Margate, so he was cool. I look at those people, I'm like, hey guys, look at the scoreboard. You know, seriously. These are people today who wouldn't have the balls to want to fight you, but in their own little cliques, they exerted power. And they knew you couldn't fight them because you get kicked off the baseball team or mock trial, but you had to fight the kids in the hood to survive. This was Survival 101. The hood versus the suburbs, and you're in between both of those things. And I think back to 92, so many weird things happened in pop culture. Two movies come to mind. Jungle Fever, which was 1991 actually, and Zebrahead. The dynamic between those two spoke volumes. Jungle Fever was about a black guy having an affair with a white woman. And Zebrahead was about a white guy that was in love with a black girl from the hood. And Jungle Fever was received with such applause and it was so cool. So now the white girls from the suburbs were coming to hang out with the black kids from the hood. So now you're in fear on another level. And Zebrahead was like, well, if you like the black girl and you're a white kid, you're a geek. Those two movies encompassed what was going on in Ducktown, in my opinion. You know, weren't cool enough for this, weren't wealthy enough for that. You're caught. All you could do is study, fight. Make sure you fight well enough to survive. Study your ass off. And one day we're going to get our ass out of here. Another movie that came out that year, though, was A Few Good Men. And watching A Few Good Men and the cross-examination, I still watch it once a month just for inspiration. That was like, hey, this is me. I get somebody caught in a lie on the stand and I'm going to rip their heart out. Even if they have an ass civil lawyer working with a prosecutor's office trying to taint a case, the truth can still come out. And I learned that that year. I mean, it's funny how it evolved, but then mock trial led into so many things. And it was weird how the cliques were so dominant. You know, I remember the AIDS ribbons, and you start looking at things deeper. You know, you're a kid, but you're looking deep into these moments. The AIDS ribbon was the status symbol, and all the veterinary market kids used to wear this AIDS ribbon like they were some big deal. They were that. You know, and it was odd, and it was a symbol for, like, well, who's got the better clothing? It was really... It was starting to see social economics. If you were a wealthy kid during that time period from the suburbs, you wore an AIDS ribbon. Now, if you wore an AIDS ribbon on the hood, on a jitney ride, being a white kid, you'd make yourself more of a target. So there were things that you couldn't acclimate to that the burbs were acclimating to. 
and you just start looking at everything so goddamn deep. 1992, the Video Music Awards came out on MTV. I think it was the first one. Now, we were poor as shit, so MTV wasn't really an option. You used to watch it like scrambled. You couldn't say it. And the one video that really captured everybody was Guns N' Roses' November Rain. And eventually you would see it at like a friend's house or something and watch the whole video unscrambled. And November Rain was this great song. But it actually becomes like this moment in time, right? If you watch November Rain, pay careful attention to it. I'll post it later. But here's Axel, the lead singer. And he's marrying this beautiful woman. And they're happy. Watch Slash, the guitar player, maybe the greatest guitar player of all time. Watch Slash leave the wedding reception and go play his guitar by himself. What do we take from that? Think about it for a minute. And I don't know if Axel and Guns N' Roses were this deep to put it all together, but. Axel stole Slash's girl. That was his boy. And now they're living happily ever after, and here's Slash fending for himself. And that moment, it kind of hit me. Everybody's saying what a great song it is and what a great video it is. It was a division of life right there. The lead singer gets the girl. The guitar player may be better at what he does than what the lead singer does, walks away alone. And there was this powerful moment. And you learned with the Margate girls. You learned with them that they were into you. They thought you were cute. They thought you were cool. But they weren't into you in public. Behind closed doors is where you gained some level of acceptance. It was cool if my friends didn't see me with you. And that can be something that sticks with you. It gives you some level of acceptance, but also really mess with your mind as a kid. So if the click says no, you lose. But if I can have my own free thought, I can win. There's a lot of shit going through a 15 year old's mind at that time, 15, 16. I guess things really took a turn when John Gotti got convicted, which was also in 1992. And when Gotti went down, it was also the same year Mike Tyson went down, you start learning something about life right there. Now you gotta remember, where we grew up in Ducktown, Nicky Scarfo, who was a big mafia guy, that was Scarfo's area Ducktown. And as the neighborhood was changing, things were changing. Scarfo goes to prison. Now John Gotti, the king of New York, the Teflon Don, is going to prison. Mike Tyson, heavyweight champion of the world, he goes to prison, which that's a story for another time. But it motivated you and it made you think about because when Gotti went down, 
that to me said the system is bigger than anything we can imagine. And by the way, I think a lot of charges against Scotty were wrong. I think a lot of charges were right. But the reality was this. People were digging in now. The tide has changed. It became a cool thing to prosecute a big criminal figure as opposed to holding them in high regard. And being an Italian kid that grew up in a mafia-based neighborhood that became a minority-based neighborhood, you thought to yourself, well, if John Gotti's going down, what chance do I have for survival? We're law-abiding citizens. But Gotti's conviction, coupled with Miss Gandia and mock trial, it sent like these shockwaves to me. You know, and I think of the kids growing up, being caught in those two worlds, and how easily it would have been for me to end up in prison. How easily it would have been for me to go on the wrong tracks. And how some of that shit just never leaves you, right? But when Gotti went down, and the Rodney King verdict, and the uh, beatings came to Atlantic City, and Pitney Village was having arsons and murders every Friday night, you turn to Miss Gandia, you turn to Aunt Marin Mom, and then they turn to you, and they said, you gotta take all this shit as a sign. I didn't know John Gotti. I, I did know Nicky Scarfo. We knew his family. And you learned the way out that was the mafia way, if you would. That was wrong. And at some point it was going to catch up with you. But you learned it was time for survival. And you learned that just because somebody talked a big game didn't mean they were not vulnerable. And more importantly, in our situation, you learned how to mask vulnerability. And that is something I've done my whole life and career, masking vulnerability. And I look back to 1992, and I think to myself, huh. Set the tone for a lot of things, but it was a painful year. The Jail Visit with attorney Bill Amadeo from McManus and Amadeo. Connect with McManus and Amadeo at McManusAmadeo.com or call 800-392-7311. This is The Jail Visit on Shiawassee Radio. Tonight, we're going to focus some on Grable and Associates. We're going to actually tell a little story about that. And we're going to hone in on Scott Grable because a lot of people don't seem to realize that Scott Grable is not just a great businessman, but an amazing lawyer. He's, in my opinion, maybe the best criminal mind in the state of Michigan. You know, people get a lot of credit for winning trials, as they should. But trials are about maybe 10 to 50% of what we do. There are motions, there's negotiations, there's understanding polygraphs, there's understanding sexual evaluations. There's so many aspects that go into criminal law, and I will tell you, there's nobody better in the state as a complete package than Scott Grable. We'll get into that. Then we'll talk some about Ashley Duplessis. All love. I'll tell you some funny Ashley Duplessis stories, because Ash, AD2, as our nickname, she is a great lawyer, rising star, but she will use me to get out of bad dates. 
and make me do fake phone calls. And I think the world needs to know about that a little bit. Right, live audience? All right. Rest in peace to Gary Moeller. Coach Moeller got a bad rep. You know, it's a shame that in life we take the one negative thing in someone's life and we spin that. You know, we twist it. Here's a guy who was a role model for young men. He coached his ass off. Good man. And we're going to take one drunken incident and taint this guy and piss away decades of amazing work. That's sad, guys. That's just messed up. That is frustrating. Gary Moeller was a great coach. And a good guy. Yeah, one bad night drinking at a bar. And you know, I gotta tell you something. I don't drink. Can you imagine if I drank? Oh. The shit that comes out of my mouth sober? Oh. I want you to think about something, guys. I want you to think about your life, right? I want you to think of the one the one screw-up, the worst moment you had. And you could live this amazing life, and people will focus on that one hiccup. That man's image was tainted the rest of his life. Because assholes in the media spun things. It's really a shame. You know, it really is a shame. And Joe Abera, I know you would love to see me drunk. There's a lot. Live audience would love to see me drunk, right? You imagine me throwing back shots? Oh, my God. This is sober, guys. This is completely sober. Hi. There was a prosecutor I used to go to war with. And he told his boss that Bill Amadeo must have a drinking problem. Because he was emailing me about a case at 2 o'clock in the morning. No, bro, I was up working. <laughs> and there, there's a funny story behind that, too. But we, we'll, we'll save that for another time. All right. Let's talk about Grable and Associates. Scott Grable, I hope you're tuned in. If not, you'll get the link. When I started my career, and, you know, people know this. I've only been doing crim law five years. It's hard to believe, right? It's only been five years. You know, thousands of cases now in the books. And it's insane. But um, Scott Grable took a shot on me. Winnie Rich saw me as a tutor in Lansing. And she would see me there at 7 o'clock in the morning. She would see me there at 8 o'clock at night. And Winnie Rich said to Scott Grable, who was a friend before he was my employer at that firm, you got to hire this kid. He works his ass off. He's going to make us all a lot of money. He's going to be a great criminal defense lawyer. And I didn't know shit about criminal law. And Scott Grable took a chance on me. And it changed my career. So when our firm took off, I remained with Scott. And that's basically I have two full-time jobs. But let me tell you some of the reasons I stayed with Scott besides our friendship. People don't know it because they look at the Grable and Associates models as marketing machine. We have this group of lawyers in all these areas that are renowned. This is what Google says, right? You got McQuarrie in Livingston. You got Amadeo in Shiawassee in Washington. You got Brugnoli in um, Smith and Kent. Whatever. And Scott put this team together. He put these weapons together to advocate for clients. And he gets known for being this internet guru, this marketing genius. And he is. 
Here's what people forget about Scott Grable, and I want everybody to really listen to what I'm about to say. He is an absolutely amazing attorney. He's a great trial lawyer. He's tried over 20 cases. He has been in front of juries. He's been before the Michigan Supreme Court. He's been before the Michigan Court of Appeals. He's done it all. And one thing Scott taught me, which changed my career, is that being a great trial lawyer, that's part of the problem, part of the issue, right? We have a problem. We have to go to trial sometimes. But that's about 10 or 15% of what being a lawyer is all about. Do you understand a standaway motion? Do you understand a missing evidence instruction? Do you understand the -the state-of-the-art motions that nobody understands, which, by the way, is helping us immensely in certain cases we have, which we won't get into tonight. But I will tell you, the case that really put me on the map, the one that really put me on the map before Bobby Reyes was the Eric Coleman case. I was scared shitless before the Eric Coleman trial. Eric's family could have hired any lawyer in the state. And back then, I was a dark horse to get that case. When I took on Eric Coleman's case, you could argue that I was not ready for a case that intense. And I called Scott Grable. And I was scared. I'm like, what do I do? And he coached me up day one, free of charge. It was my firm, not his firm. He taught me what I had to do with Eric on the stand. He helped me break down Vordaire. He broke down trial strategy like nobody ever knew. He's been an amazing mentor. And the reason he knew so much is because he's been in the fucking wars. He's been in the trenches. Scott Grable is a badass trial lawyer. I just think he's making more money doing the marketing right now. But to anybody to question his ability, that's bullshit. They had a recent win, Grable and Associates, a case I wasn't involved in. Bill McQuarrie was the head trial lawyer on a case in Jackson. And they got a not guilty. And a great job by Bill. But let me tell you, while Bill got the win at trial, here's what people don't realize. Scott and his team and Tim Doman, who was an amazing appellate lawyer, they did these amazing motions at the Court of Appeals. They did these interlocutory appeals. They prepped the question so hard. They set it up and Bill knocked it down. Great win, but it was a team effort. We forget about that sometimes. Because there's so many things. When you win a trial... Or you get a dismissal. Had a recent dismissal. Guy was facing 85 years. I busted my ass on that case. But so many things were done behind closed doors. It's great to spike the football after you score a touchdown. But you know what? How did we get to the end zone? That's what's forgotten about. Scott Grable is a top-notch trial lawyer. Quote me on that. I hope to become the trial lawyer he is in the near future. Because if I become the trial lawyer Scott Grable is, with my crazy work ethic and personality, that'd be pretty cool. I'm getting there, but he's ahead of me. And I'm grateful I'm on that team. That team has helped mold me. Every big win I've had, every one of them, and there's been a lot the last three years, you know? Um... Check out Google for my haters, okay? But there's been some major wins. Every win I've had, Scott Grable's played a role in it. 
whether it was a Grable and Associates case or a McMaster and Amadeo case. You don't see when I'm calling Scott Grable 10 o'clock at night to go over a faulty police report. He made the connection for me to meet Andrew Longusky and learn about polygraphs. He taught me the Stanaway motion. The guy is a wealth of knowledge. And if he so chose, he would be a very renowned trial lawyer in the state of Michigan. What he's done instead is put this a team in place, which I'm very proud to be part of. But rest assured, when Scott Grable puts on his spikes and goes to trial, he's ready to kick ass. He's done it all. We're lucky to have him as our leader on that firm. And uh, I will never not work for Scott under any circumstances. We are all better lawyers because of our association with Scott Grable. Every trial that GNA wins, whether his name is on it or not, he's played a role in coaching. He doesn't just take the money and it's hands off. Yeah, we get a, we make a lot of money at that firm. Make no mistake about it. But we work our ass off. And the client comes first. There have been times, a certain appeal we know very well about, when a client ran out of money. And Scott would not give up on him because he would care more about justice than the bottom line. Money's important. Don't get me wrong. But in this profession, one's freedom. It's a little higher, don't you think? We can be great advocates, make great money while still putting our clients first. And that's something that's lost by so many lawyers, but it's not lost by Scott Grable. I will take Scott in trial against anybody in the state any day of the week. Quote me on that. Now, on a lighter note, let's talk about a really good trial lawyer, Ashley Duplessis. Ash, if you're tuned in, I want to say you are working your ass off right now. You are becoming a star. And when you work as hard as Ashley does, frustration kicks in sometimes. You know, there's some days in this profession we just want to explode. Like when we find hidden evidence that a piece of prosecutor hid. And I'll tell you, that prosecutor was not in Shiawassee, so let me quote that. Because Scott Corner doesn't hide evidence. But there's some other people that may. And what we've learned is if you dig under these rocks, you'll find certain things. If we can't play nice... We can't play nice. Let me be real clear on that. And Ashley Duplessis is a warrior. I'm going to tell you about a sentencing I watched her do. The client was looking at severe prison time. And she argued perfectly for a downward departure. And the guy's going to be out of jail in about nine months and stayed in jail at the Michigan Department of Corrections because she completely laid it on the line she saved that man at least 40 months of his freedom in a case of Tobles. i've seen ashley duplessis turn things around i've watched her magically twist things we've won a few cases together it's great working with her and if you watch ash the last couple of years you just keep seeing her star rise higher and higher and higher if I had a complaint about Ashley, 
it would be that she uses me when she's on a bad date. Let's talk about that. Ash, if you're tuned in, I told you this was coming. There's been several times in the recent past when Ashley will say to me, B, I need you to FaceTime me in 20 minutes. I'm on this blind date and I gotta get rid of this guy. And she'll text me, she's like, hey, here's the story. You are my good friend who's in need. And you're gonna call me. And I'm like, well, why do I have to be the good friend in need? Why can't I be like um, the ex-boyfriend that you're so into? Or the cool guy from college that always had your back? Why do I gotta be played the geek? I'm the friend in need. And she's going on. She goes, just shut up and text me. Okay. So <laughs> I was on a date, right? And I'm FaceTiming her. And she walks out the door. She goes, oh my God. And she's making this whole dramatic thing. She tells the guy, I got to go. My friend Bill, don't use the last name. I don't want to hurt business when you're pretending to be a geek. Bill's in trouble. I have to leave. Another funny story is I'm in the jail one day, right? And Ash is at a party at a restaurant. And she goes, hey, I need a cake. They don't order, they don't have cake at these restaurants. They go, well, no, I need a birthday cake for my friend. I'm like, well, I'm in the jail right now, Ash. She goes, okay, well, just leave the jail, go to Myers and bring me the cake to the restaurant. All reasonable requests. You gotta know, Ash. One of my favorite things is when Ashley and I are banging heads... I'll send her this text message. It'll be the word RELAX. All caps. Now do it one letter at a time. R-E-L-A-X. And before we get to the X, she goes, I swear to God, if you say RELAX, I'm going to kill you. When we're in that zone of working our ass off, it's good to have somebody like Ashley because you know she's got your back, you got her back. Always been a great team effort. And I would say on the case we won together, I think she's been the superior lawyer. That's a lot for me to say, right? But she's kicked some ass. So Ashley, AD, listen. I admire you as a lawyer. And when you need me to get you out of a bad date, I would like the fake story to make me at least look cool at least. You agree with that, right? Yeah. Oh, what the hell? Can I go like a geek? Make me look cool. Come on. I'm the good-looking ex-boyfriend that's out of town. No, I'm the geek that needs a friend tonight. The Jail Visit with attorney Bill Amadeo from McManus and Amadeo. Connect with McManus and Amadeo at McManusAmadeo.com or call 800-392-7311. This is The Jail Visit on Shiawassee Radio. The Jail Visit. I'm dealing with some Shiawassee County bullshit. D-Black. So as many of you know, the fake profile of D-Black has been stirring up. And apparently D-Black put a hit list out. Somebody who doesn't have enough balls to do a real Facebook profile put a hit list out. On this hit list, the names. Joe and Aaron Abera. Rob and Corey Lepley. Kathy McGuckin, Josh Champlain, Bill Amadeo, that's me, Mike McCockney, and their mouthpiece, Sue Wright. Do I have a mouthpiece? Holy shit. Guys. Okay. 
We're going to go through each of the people on the hit list. Why wasn't Mayor Ken on this list? I don't want him to win the election. He should have been on the list, right? Who's D-Black? Let's start with that. Is it Tom Mankey? Is it Brian Bagol? Is it Brian Boggs? Is it Jeremy Root? Is it Cindy Garber? I keep seeing that weird picture of Brian Boggs' wedding photo. He looks like Count Dracula. He's standing next to the blonde he was married to. I keep seeing that picture of Brian Boggs, but I don't see a picture of Brian Boggs on the Michigan pass list for the bar exam because he keeps failing it. So, I don't know. Listen, Brian. Just because you put a bow tie on and try to look smart doesn't mean you're doing well in that MBE. If you want to have that debate, buddy, you let me know. Where the hell did Brian Boggs come from? This weird-looking little guy who thinks he's smart and tough with this bow tie on. I mean, dude. Look at yourself, Brian. My God. Anyway. Let's talk about people with purpose. Let's start with Joe Abera. Joe Abera, man of integrity. Man who should be the sheriff in Shiawassee County. Man who has done everything to help that county and keeps dealing with social media bullshit. Joe Abera, man of integrity. What's up, Joe? D Black, who are you? There's something I was told as a kid, and we'll talk later about drama between Jersey and Michigan drama, because i got to tell you, and I, I love Michigan, but the thing I love about Jersey, the one thing I like about Jersey more than Michigan, is that your enemies stab you in the face in Jersey. Here, they do it on social media, and they do fake profiles, do it behind your back. D. Black, dude, you are nothing but a coward hiding on social media. You couldn't hold Joe Abera's jock strap, to quote Larry Holmes. Boxing fans will get that joke. I don't know. Erin Abera, one of the smartest people I know, hope she's a member of our law firm one day, has dealt with more bullshit because she had the balls to call the board of commissioners out for their So if you have courage and don't go against the status quo, you get named on D Black's hit list. Ah. <sighs> Rob and Corey Letley. Because they spoke their minds, they get pulled into this bull. I was at Corey Letley's deposition, and I watched Bagol's idiot lawyer ask her questions about is she running Facebook pages? And I asked, is this like a Dolbert hearing on social media? What the hell was that? I mean, it all comes down to the Kathy McGuckin case, right? They say Kathy McGuckin is a bitter employee. She's a bitter employee, in your opinion? Because she was fired wrongfully. I hope Kathy wins millions of dollars in this bullshit. I don't understand, but Goal's acting all tough. Dude, you're running for office, and you have lawsuits from ex-employees. I don't know. Common sense says this is not a good look for you. And your lawyers that are racking up the county bill while you show up thinking you're tough. Dude, you are not tough, Brian. You are a sheriff because your family has ties in Shiawassee. And because you're the Republican candidate. Dude, stop. And D-Black, if it's you, Brian, God, I feel bad for you. 
I mean, I knew some of the bullshit CSCs you present to the prosecutor a week. But my god! A fake profile? Dude! Stop! Come on, let's grow up. Man. This is so frustrating. They're putting all these brilliant people on this hit list. Josh Champlain. Best journalist in the state of Michigan. Pure f***ing badass. He breaks the stories nobody else can break. D. Black, I'm guessing you're more of a fan of Tom Mankey. Because fake news is what you're all about. Mike Picotney. What do I guess about Mike? Somebody I admire. Tough cop. Animal lover. Good guy. And Jeremy Root, you are lucky Mike did not kick your f***ing ass when you gave him a finger. Are you, D-Black, are you Jeremy Root? And then Sue Wright. Apparently Sue Wright's our mouthpiece. I love Sue Wright. I haven't seen Sue in a while. To say anybody's my mouthpiece is kind of crazy. I mean, I say all this shit sober, right? I mean, give me a break. I don't have a mouthpiece. Listen, let me break this shit down for you, all right? I grew up in the ghetto of Atlantic City. I was the only white kid in my neighborhood. We were poor as shit. I struggled to get my aunt and mom out of the fucking area of Pitney Village. You could not have lived a fucking day in my life in the 90s. I'm a man. You got a problem with me, you come to me face to face. We could talk it out. We could sign consent forms and just go i don't care but your little bullshit social media dude if it's a man jeremy root tom Mankey, be a man this is my ip address i'm talking shit about you i can respect that talk shit to my face don't hide behind social media this is pathetic you want to talk shit about me i'm on your list i am honored to be on this list honored you don't know shit about me I hear all about it. I got a Jersey accent. I live in Ann Arbor and I come to Shiawassee and I got money. Every thing I got, I earned. I didn't do it by hiding behind an internet profile. I didn't do it by talking shit behind people's backs. I did it by being a man. I fought like hell to get where I am in life. You don't know shit about me. I'm honored to be on this list. As Mike McCartney said, it looks like a god dinner invite list at the Comstock. This is my crew. You guys are so terrified that Mayor Ken might get on the board. Or that Mike is going to speak the truth. Or Josh is going to break one of the stories. How can anybody put credence in somebody who doesn't have enough balls to stand behind their name? D Black is nothing more than a fictitious character and in some of the cases we're involved in we know certain other people that are fictitious characters right but that's okay it's good we're fine guys come on man up here I always say this and I gotta give it to Jersey because Jersey made me such a better criminal lawyer and there was one case that blew me away 
I had this CSC, and it was a bullshit CSC, in a county with the letter at the end of the alphabet. We'll leave it at that. And the officer put in the report, the DNA does not match the defendant. <laughs> well, I kind of led with that, right? In Jersey, that never would have made the report. You know, a corporate cop would have just, like, hid that stuff. Here, right? Put it in. In Jersey, I mean, I know, I've had governors, I've had multi-millionaires, I've had all sorts of people threaten me. And usually the threats are, we're going to take your bar license, we're going to kill you, you know, we're going to slit your tires. Here, what D. Black does is we're going to put you on a list. We're going to talk shit about you behind your back. Stop. Let me tell you something. Walking home on Willow Avenue in the 90s? was something to be fearful about. Running for union president at the age of 22 in 1999, that was something to be fearful about. Some crazy motherfuckers going for the union office. Having some coward on a fake Facebook profile and Shia Lossie talking shit to his people is nothing to fear. The scary part about somebody like me is not only am I crazier and more courageous than you, I'm f***ing smarter than you. We can sign a consent form and go. Let's fight. We can have an IQ test. Whatever you want to do, D-Black. Anything you want, bro. I know you're watching right now, probably behind one of your eight f***ing Facebook fake profiles. And you're going to say that I'm crazy. Well, bro. <laughs> you haven't seen crazy. Well, let me be clear. I'm not threatening you. Before you go run to somebody and say, Bill Amadeo is threatening me, let me break this down for you very clearly. So I know a lot of my other enemies are waiting for me to say something crazy on social media to try to get me off certain cases. Listen up. If you are a man and you want to fight, we will sign a consent form and do it legally. And I will take pleasure in beating your god ass. If you think you could beat me in a fight, you don't know my f***ing background. If you want to have an intellectual debate, I will pay $2,500 and give it to charity and meet you at a place of your choice. What I'm guessing you're going to do is go with option three. You're going to be hide behind your little Facebook profile and sit there and make your little comments choice is yours bro if you're a woman if you are cindy garber and i mean this to cindy and anybody else that could be if it's a man or a woman you really need mental health therapy and i will pay the copay for you okay you need it let me help you out you're probably not doing as well as i am financially let me help you get the mental therapy you need my god i mean is this really happening Look at a D-Black hit list. Oh my god. Listen. Bloods, Crips, Latin Kings. I was on those hit lists in the 90s. That was a f***ing list to be worried about. I'm the white kid going home. Now I'm just a badass lawyer coming into town and somebody's pissed off.
The proceeding was a paid presentation by McManus and Amadeo PLLC. Listeners of this program should contact their attorney to obtain advice with respect to any particular legal matter. No listener should act or refrain from acting on the basis of information within this program without first seeking legal advice from counsel in the relevant jurisdiction. Only your individual attorney can provide assurances that the information and your interpretation of it is applicable or appropriate to your particular situation. Listening to this program using any associated website or related links or resources does not create an attorney-client relationship between the listener and host, contributors, or contributing law firms. All liability with respect to actions taken or not taken based on the contents of this program are hereby expressly disclaimed. You and your loved ones deserve a criminal defense firm that believes that your life and freedom are worth fighting for. Matt McManus, Bill Amadeo, and the McManus and Amadeo team of attorneys, investigators, and case managers will take the lead with a vast knowledge and legal experience across the state of Michigan to get the best possible result for you. Learn more at McManusAmadeo.com. Schedule a free consultation 24-7 by calling 800-392-7311.